Hi, welcome back to Roy Knows Podcast, helping you become a better you. Today, we're going to talk about the most common procedure done in plastic surgery, breast augmentation or breast enhancement. And we're doing it with a world expert, Dr. David Hildago from New York. Welcome, David. How are you? I'm doing great, Rod. Good to see you and happy to be here. Great. It looks like a beautiful day in New York. Couldn't be nicer. Perfect weather. Doesn't happen often. Well, well <laughs> it's summer in Dallas, but it's a little warmer than here. And, and I know Dr. Hidalgo was, was in Dallas recently. But but let's talk about breast augmentation. And I know you're a world expert in breast augmentation, and you've, you've written a lot about it. And and you have some you know phenomenal results. So tell us about what is the ideal patient for a breast augmentation that you see in, in New York? Well, it, it's there's two parts to it, Rod. One is uh, the patient's uh, psyche and goals, and the other is their anatomy. You know, I like to see somebody who's got you know a reasonable goal. You know, they don't say, "I want to be a D cup." You know, I want to I want to be something proportionate to my body. I want to look good. You know, that's a great starting point. And then the second part is their anatomy. You know, what are they starting with? How much breast tissue are they starting with? And and more importantly. What's the configuration? You know, there's so many different breast shapes. And for breast augmentation, you know, there's certain things you need to make it straightforward and get a great result. And there are certain shapes that are very difficult to work with. So we look at those two things when we evaluate a patient for breast augmentation. Yeah, so a common question is, okay, uh, how young can I be to get a breast augmentation? And then I wanna talk to you about the configurations. So like, what, 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 like, what's the youngest age? You know, I, I think the, the breast augmentation patients, the young ones, tend to be a little bit older than the rhinoplasty population, which are like 15, 16, 17. Uh, women who come for breast augmentation are usually a, a bit older, like 18, 19. As you know, uh, the FDA does not want silicone implants placed in patients less than 22. Right. So if we have a younger patient, we're limited to saline implants, which in my opinion is not really a limitation. I agree. So it 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 depends. The early, the younger patients are usually saline implants. Older patients have their choice. Yeah, and by the way, that's a pure arbitrary decision by the FDA with no science behind it, which is not <laughs> uncommon for them to do. Yeah. No, I could I couldn't agree more. There's there's no medical or anatomical or rational basis. It was it was just a committee decision. Yeah. So so David, what when you see these patients, and you're right. In the past, you just had a saline and a silicon implant, one round, one shape. And, and so today, how do you make that simple for them? They're coming, let's just say there's a 25-year-old and she's coming to see you. And how do you help them decide in your consultation what size that and shape that you think is optimal? Well, it's all based on their anatomy. So the first thing we do is, as I was referring to earlier, psychologically, what are their goals? How, what size are they looking for? But the anatomy dictates what size range a patient can have. So we'll examine the patient, measure things, look at their quality of the tissues, and then we'll make a recommendation in terms of implant sizes that will work well with their anatomy. And if we exceed that, we're gonna have aesthetic problems that we want to avoid. So once we come up with that size range, what we actually do, because it's so abstract to a patient, is we have them try on the silicone implants sizes in a bigger bra so that they've got a real 3D simulation, takes the mystery out of it, 
Sometimes there's some indecision associated with it, but by and large, that that pretty much gives them a clear idea of what's possible and how it's going to look. Yeah, and you've written about it, and you that's been very, very uh, successful and powerful in your practice, correct? A hundred percent. You know, we, we try to get high tech and we've got 3D machines that will help you visualize, but it's not the same because a th even a, a 3D imaging is a flat image and you don't get right. the sense of weight. Uh, you don't get what it looks like if you look down. Uh, it's it's more high tech, but it's not as good. Yeah, no, I agree. I, you know, I, I've used the uh, the 3D imaging and I, I actually have abandoned it several years ago and you know, I, I've used sizers and I actually, I like using the base diameter, the measurements, and then I actually have them show me patient photos. I think that's very good. And then I show them the implants. I show them the different sizes and shapes. I mean, because, you know, as, as you know, there's many, there's the, the normal one, then there's a higher and then a highest profile. And I think that's helpful as well. Don't you think? I do very much. I think sometimes they get lost in some of the nuances of the different shapes. And I, I what I explained to them is that your anatomy may suggest that we use a particular profile or height implant with a particular diameter. So I explained to them that these options are available, but they're, they're more technical options that we, we figure out in the operating room to get the best result. Yeah, no, I agree. And I don't say you need XCCs and I don't want to limit myself or the patient because as you know, everybody's breasts are asymmetrical. You know, our faces are asymmetrical. So the breasts are symmetrical as well. So what is a typical procedure as far as the incision approach and going above and below the muscle? Those are all things that people want to know about and what's best for the patient? Well, I can say, uh, you know, after doing this for so many decades, that under the muscle should be done in virtually all cases. You know, there's there's at least three different benefits. I mean, it's better for mammograms. You get a better contour on the top of the breast. Right. Uh, and it can help prevent implant hardening, which we may get a chance to get into. So definitely under the muscle. Now, how you get there um is it varies you can go through uh, around the nipple area with an incision which is my least favorite and is problematic so that leaves either under the breast in the crease as by far the most common right. in some cases with very good anatomy or you know modest goals we can actually go through the armpit and have a hidden scar and that can work extremely well but it's basically those two incisions yeah. And most commonly use the inframammary fold incision, correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, and what do you tell your patients, uh, saline or silicone? What, I mean, they're both great implants. They're both FDA approved. How do they decide? Well, the, 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 the lay perception is that silicone implants look better and feel more natural. And actually that's only half true. They do feel more like breast tissue, but saline implants and silicone implants in the body look exactly the same. So then why do we pick one versus the other? Um, in very thin patients, saline implants are going to be a little bit too noticeable. You're going to feel them a little bit more easy. Where they're not under the muscle on the sides, you might see some ripples or wrinkles. It's uncommon, but that can happen. But there are other issues as well. For example, many are not aware that, well, first of all, all implants eventually have to be replaced and it's a lifetime commitment. But many many are not aware that silicone implants last, in my experience, about 10 years, sometimes longer, but not often. 
saline implants, in my experience, commonly last 20 years. So there's a there's a longevity uh, difference between the two that I think is significant. Um, and I think also, as, as I've, the, the longer I've been doing this, when I see patients come back eight years, 10 years, the silicone implant results have morphed a little bit. They change a little bit right. and they get, they get like a low grade. Uh, it's not a hardening, but the shape changes. Whereas saline implants, whenever a patient come back 20 years later, they have their eyes done or something, they look like we did them yesterday. So for me, if I have a patient who will do equally well with a saline implant um, aesthetically uh, than a, a silicone, I will try to suggest that they do that. Yep. No, I agree. I actually, I like silicone, saline implants as well. But of, or of course, so many patients come and say, I want a silicone implant, which is fine. I mean, they're both FDA approved. But you're right, saline implants, they tend to look better longer because they don't get hard and it gaps for contracture. So let's talk about that. So what are the most common risks that you talk about with your patients with both implants? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, it, it's like if you, you know, you see one of those, uh, pharmaceutical commercials on TV and they go like through this whole list of a million things that can go wrong. <laughs> you, you can do that. You can do that for breast implants too, but really there's, there's only two, I think there's two important things. One is, as I mentioned already, they wear out and you have to replace right. them. The second thing is what you're, what you just mentioned sometimes, and it's a, about 5% of cases, the body will make a thicker scar layer around the implant on the inside, and the breast feels hard. The shape changes, and if it happens only on one side, the two breasts don't look the same, and we typically have to fix that in the operating room. To me, when I see a patient for the first time, there's so many things to talk about. I want to make sure they remember the key things, and, and those are the two key things. you got to replace them someday. If one or both were to get firm, again, in 5%, we might have to fix it. You know, there's issues about, you know, sensation and, and infection and and all of those things are really way down on the list. Those are the two key things. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, you see a lot in, at meetings now and on social media saying, oh, breast implant, the new breast implants last so much longer. I mean, but we know that the science says 10, 15, 10 to 12 years, but people are saying now that because the implants are newer, that they last longer, but... To my knowledge, there's no good data to say that they last significantly longer. They have a lifespan because they're man-made, not God-made. So how do you respond to that? And I always tell them, I'm up as I'm conservative. I say, 10 years is great. Then we'll start looking at them, right? Well, Rod, you and I have gone through, you know, every decade there's a new implant that's supposed to be the best. And then 10 years later, we're not using it anymore. So, <laughs> you know, implants have been around for 60 years. I mean, to me, saline implants are, are pretty much perfected. There's there's not much different you can do with that. Uh, silicone implants, yeah, you know, they change little nuances, but they're the same devices they've always been. And I think um, it's not right to say to a patient, these are going to last your lifetime. It's never going to happen. And I that's, agree. You know, we should make that clear. Yeah. And certainly we learned that in the 90s, the hard way that when implant companies told us they would. And, you know, nothing lasts forever, certainly if it's man-made. So I, I agree. So what are what are your take-home points for someone who's looking to have a breast augmentation and wants to get the best result, find the best surgeon, and you know, kind of know before you go? Well, uh, you know, first of all, they should find uh, a qualified surgeon. And what's that? That's somebody who's board certified in plastic surgery. 
uh, you know, you should, you know, vet the surgeon, look at their reviews. Uh, hopefully you can talk to patients who have been treated by that surgeon. Don't just go by dazzling Instagram results. That's not the best way to pick a surgeon. So, you know, find the right surgeon and, and also see a couple because uh, even with a procedure as simple as breast augmentation, surgeons vary in their opinion on how it should be done. So if you see a couple of people and you're getting a consensus, then you're probably onto the right treatment plan for you. And then, you know, again, we're overemphasizing this perhaps, but keep in mind, this is a lifelong commitment. You know, you're going to have to do this a couple of times. Right. Uh, when you get older, when you get older, okay, put in a saline implant, that, that'll probably take you the rest of the way, but it's, it's a lifelong commitment. Um, and I think those are the, those are the key points. Uh, there, one last thing, you know, there's some trendy stuff going on, like put the implants under the fascia, not under the muscle, fill in around the implant with fat grafts. You know, these methods, you know, if this is the latest thing in plastic surgery, I haven't signed up for that yet because, you know, you got to give it time to see if these things work out. I personally think those are not the right things to do. I think implants should be under the muscle uh, incisions, as we've spoken about most commonly under the breast. I agree. Wise words from Dr. Hildago. Now, I think some of the things that he mentioned are so important. I mean, choose a surgeon that actually is, an I think, someone who's an expert. I mean, and how do you find an expert? Someone who talks about it, is well-respected, has written about it. And that's the key thing. And, and smart consumers know that. They look at the literature. They look at uh, what meetings these people go to and talk about because everybody, as you know, everybody's famous on their own website and their Instagram, David. And, right. And and most of these people, you and I have never heard, even heard of. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but, you know, if you really want to get an optimal result, you know, and certainly in Dallas and in New York, there are amazingly, there's superb board-certified plastic surgeons that can do this procedure. But then you have to find somebody that, you know, that you think is telling you things that you want, that you you agree with, right? And, and also that's compatible with what you want. And that's how I select my patients as well, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think that's very, very important. And, and and so know before you go, board certified plastic surgeon, are they an expert? Do they do it often? So again, David, thank you so much for joining us today. I know it's beautiful in New York. You got other yeah. things to do, but uh, it's, always, it's always enlightening to talk to you. And you always tell us some amazing things that really are clinical pearls for our patients. So know before you go, and if you're in New York City, you got you got to you got to look out and find Dr. Hildago. Thanks again, David. Have a great day.